God is good. Amen. God is good. Amen. Y'all better wake up this morning. Turn with me to the book of Philippians chapter three. As you're turning there, you know, a lot of times we get up to preach or speak, we talk about most of the time it's because of the seasons that we're going through personally, a lot of times, and we're hearing what God's saying, what he's trying to speak into our own lives, and we're also listening to what the Holy Spirit wants to tell the body and the church today and what he wants us to know. And we've been on this topic for the last I don't know, two months now, worship the what? Say that again. The pursuit of his presence. And we see the word worship and we see the word presence, but I think a lot of people are missing out on that word pursuit. You ever watch Dukes of Hazard? Remember Roscoe? What was one of his favorite things he'd say? Pursuit, hot pursuit. He was always chasing after those Duke boys, always trying to catch them. This week, God's been speaking into my heart some things. Wednesday night, our elder, our founding pastor, Pastor Donnie, got up and spoke a powerful word at the end of night of worship. How many of you were here for night of worship? If you missed it, you missed it. About men. About our hearts. I pray this morning that the word that I'm about to speak to you, you will be open to receive what God wants to say this morning. Let's just do this right now. Can we prepare our hearts to hear what God has to say this morning? Just pray this with me. Holy Spirit. Come on, pray this with me. Holy Spirit. Have your way in me today. I open up my heart. I open up my mind. I open up all that I am to receive your word. Speak to me and help me to be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Philippians 3. The word that God's been speaking to my heart, this little phrase, and I've heard it since I was a little boy because we used to sing this song. And the word is, this world is not my home. Remember, remember the old hymn? This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, I know I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, oh, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Y'all remember that good old song? We forgot that song. 
When I say this world is not my home, mentally, many of you go, oh, I know that. I know that. Spiritually, that's our great hope. But practically, we have invested our lives in this world. We spend so much time building and investing in things that won't last. You ever, you ever been to the beach? How many of y'all been to the beach before? Oh, we got hands going up everywhere now. I've been to the beach. Yes, I have. I remember when my girls were little, they're, they're my goodness, they're going to be 15 and 17 in the next couple months. Lord, help me, Jesus. <laughs> right? We go to the beach, and now they're teenagers. They like to get out in the waves. And, ah! But when they were little, we used to sit in the sand, and we would build sandcastles. You remember that? How many of y'all build sandcastles? Now, how many of y'all were like, when you went to build a sandcastle, you built a sandcastle? Huh? You put the rocks as a little driveway and dug the moat around it and all that. Y'all ever do that? Not really. Not really. Brother Diane was out there. Yeah. But you build those sandcastles. But what happens when you leave the beach? Say you were staying there for the week and you left that night. And when you came back, what did you find? Washed away. Tide came in. Or a future beachgoer that came after you ran slap over it or kicked it over, right? You know what? That's what happens with the things that we invest in in this world. They just wash away. Or somebody in the future after we're long gone just wipes it all out. But yet we still measure our successes and everything we are by this world. Philippians 3, starting verse 17. This is Paul talking to the Philippians. He's writing a letter to them. No doubt he's probably writing somewhere in a jail or a dungeon or a prison, whipped and beat somewhere as he's writing this. In verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, let me stop right there for a second because I want you to know something. Paul is not being egotistical here. He's not being prideful here. He knew that he was not sinless, nor was he perfect, but yet he was still a good example. He could also say, as he did in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, how many of you would agree that we need concrete examples of Christian leaders to follow so we can see an example? How many of you agree with that? About, about 25% of you agree with that. Hey, when I ask you a question, I, I really want to see if you believe it or not. I really do. So don't be afraid to raise your hand. You're not going to get your hand slapped down. Raise your hand if you, if you agree. And how many of you agree we need concrete examples in the faith? Amen? Amen. Amen. And when you have people rise up in their concrete examples, they're not being arrogant or prideful. They're saying, as I follow Christ, I want you to come along with me. And let's follow him together because together as we follow him, we can set an example for everyone else to do this also. It's not, I'm not saying to put our trust in man. Don't hear me wrong. But it's hypocritical for any Christian to say, do as I do and not as I say. If we're out there and we're telling people, you need Jesus, Jesus can change your life. and Jesus hasn't changed your life, all you're doing is saying, do what I say, not what I do. Let's go on to 18 through 19. 
And this is where I want to get in the heart of my message here. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, this is Paul talking, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Listen to this. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I'm going to go back and read that last verse again. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame whose minds are set on earthly things. In verse 18, you see Paul says in tears, he says this. Because he realizes there are those who walk in a manner that is contrary to what he's been teaching. Paul had contended with people in 1 Corinthians 6 and in Romans 6 who thought that salvation comes without repentance, without conversion, and who thought as long as their soul was saved, it didn't matter what you did with your body or anything else. And sadly, the church today, there's a lot of people that feel that way. As long as I believe in Jesus, it gives me the ability to do whatever I want to do. They've used Jesus as a fire insurance. But God says to you, I've taken old things and making all things new. You're a new creation in Christ. You shouldn't look the same as you did before. There should be something new about you. And salvation does not come without repentance. You need to know that today. When we say that men are enemies of the cross, we don't mean that they're enemies of a physical representation of the cross. What we're saying is we mean that they are enemies of the biblical truth of atonement Jesus made for us on the cross and its ongoing power and it's the effect that it has on our life. If the atonement of Jesus and what Jesus did on the cross has not affected your life or impacted your life or changed your life, then you need to check and see whether you are for the cross or you're an enemy of the cross. As the old 80s song said, you better check yourself before you wreck yourself. These people are truly enemies of the cross of Christ who did not want to follow Jesus by taking up his cross of self-denial. That word was spoken to me this week, denying yourself. Let's go read it together. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone, say anyone, point at yourself, say I'm an anyone. If anyone would come after me, would come after me, what does that mean? Pursue. If anyone would pursue me, let him deny himself. Listen, let's go back to that because that was made very clear to me this week. Let him Say, I'm a him. If you're a her, just say, I'm a him. That's okay. We're not doing the transgender thing. We're just talking about in Bible terms here. Let him deny himself. I have to deny myself. It didn't say somebody's going to deny myself for me. I have to deny myself. Let him deny himself. Take up his cross. Galatians 2.20, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, not I that live, but Christ that lives in me in the life that I now live. I live unto the son of God who gave himself for me and loved me. 
Let him deny himself, take up his cross and pursue, follow me, pursue God. For whoever would save his life would lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. And I like this part. Now listen, for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? There's some strong words today, Brother William. That's Bible. That's the word of God. It's calling to us. It's wooing us right now. It's, it's, it's getting into that mind that we've brainwashed ourselves to think that our successes and everything that we have and all that we gain and all that we do and our, all of our accolades and all these things that we do in this world, they make us who we are and they are not what makes us who we are. If you are a believer, it's what Jesus did on Calvary's cross. It's the citizenship of heaven that makes you who you are. Let's get real today with ourselves. Let's get real with who we are today. I've had to do some realization this week to know who I am and what God's called me to do. And it's not to win the approval of man. It's not to win the approval of the world. I'm not out there now looking for their satisfaction and their their glory and what they think about me. I want to take as many people with me as I can to Calvary, to, to the heaven. I had the honor and privilege this last six months to lead eight people to the Lord. I want to lead more to the Lord. When I walk into that gym and I'm able to lead somebody to the Lord, I want to do that. When I'm at the grocery store, I want to show them Jesus is the way. If I'm on social media, I want to show somebody that Jesus is the way. I don't want to sit and talk about, well, I believe this or I believe that. Isn't that a shame and blah, blah, blah. And my husband's a dirty, rotten scoundrel. My wife, she don't care about nothing. Oh, I can't wait to go do this, that. We need to be saying Jesus is the answer for the world today. We've had a lot of heartache this week, a lot of trouble going on. All over our country, there was a stirring that was happening. We'll talk about that in a minute. I'm not going to go there yet. I'm getting ahead of myself. We go and we talk about Paul weeping when it said Paul wept for them. Charles Spurgeon, which I love reading about Charles Spurgeon's stuff. I always find great things that he says, even when I do my teachings on Wednesday night. It says, thought that Paul wept for three reasons. First, on the account of the guilt of these enemies of the cross. Second, on the account of the ill effects of their conduct. And third, finally, on the account of their doom, their destruction. And this is what he said. He said this about Paul. He said, I never read that the apostle wept when he was persecuted. Though they plowed his back with furrows, I do believe that never a tear was seen to gush from his eye while the soldiers scourged him. Though he was cast into prison, we read of his singing and worship, never of his groaning. I do not believe he ever wept on the account of any sufferings or dangers to which he himself was exposed for Christ's sake. I call this an extraordinary sorrow because the man who wept was no soft piece of sentiment and seldom shed a tear 
even under grievous trials. Do you read anywhere in the word where Paul weeps for being in, in, in persecution? You don't. But here he cries for those who do not pursue the cross. Those that do not pursue Jesus. He cries for them because he sees the destruction that's going on in their lives. He sees the things that are tormenting their life because they're storing up all their treasures here. They've made this world their home. In verse 19, it begins to break it down. What what I went back and read twice, the first thing it says, the end Their end is destruction. That translated destruction word means it can refer to either their ultimate damnation or the present destruction in their lives. There's a present destruction in some of your lives today. And you need to run to the cross. Whose God is their belly. This describes the idolatry of of these enemies. Not that they were necessarily focused on what they eat, but belly here is a broader reference to a sensual indulgence in general. They lived for the pleasures of the body, the mind. They lived for the pleasures of the body, the mind. Please me, entertain me. I got to find my pleasures in this world. So many times we're looking for things to satisfy us, to entertain us, rather than looking to the cross, looking to Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. The one who saved us, the one who redeemed us. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. Please go there if you can. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. There's no scripture on the screen today. I want you to get in your Bibles. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. How many of you know we've had turmoil this week? How many of you know turmoil's coming? How many of you know great turmoil's coming? Are you sure you know that? Are you awake? Do you realize what's on, the, what's on the verge? How many are excited about it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because I know my Redeemer lives. I know what the Word says. All it means is we're getting closer to see Jesus. But don't just be satisfied to say, Oh, Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, come quickly. I'm ready to go. No. Come on, people. We got to know. You got to know Jesus. Start telling them. Why don't we? Why are we ashamed? Why are we fearful? Why are we scared? Somebody going to tell us to shut up and leave them alone? Shut up and leave them alone. Go to the next one. Tell them. Tell them. They need to know. They're searching for hope. They're looking for answers. Tell them. 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 7. But understand this. That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Can somebody say amen? I had another gentleman last night at the wedding tell me. He said, yeah, I keep hearing people say, man, if God don't come back quick, he's going to have to apologize to Solomon Gomorrah. 
Let me tell you something. God ain't going to apologize to anybody. You don't remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Think about it. Every man, every boy, every elder in that city were running to have their way with those angels, with those men. It didn't say some. It said every one of them. And the only one that even had a passionate heart toward God in a little tiny bit was Lot. The only one in the whole city. Get ready, folks. It's coming. When you go to maybe be the only one, if you will stand in your city that says, I'm standing with God. Evil is getting worse and worse. Sin is getting worse and worse. The church is getting less and less. But it's because we as the body are not telling others about Jesus because we've made this world our home. And it's not your house. This is not your citizenship. We train your stinking thinking. Wake up. God did not put you here on this earth to invest, to have a successful life as a citizen of the world. He put you here for two reasons. Three reasons, actually. First, he created you to worship. Number two, he put you here to be fruitful and multiply. In other words, have kids. And train those kids up to be worshipers. And number three, he puts you here to go and make disciples. That's why he put us here. And, and, and while we're doing all that, yes, we work. We provide for our family. We protect. We do all these things. But we don't let that become our ratio of success and where our integrity lies and how much money we make and how many things we have. We'll talk about that in a minute. But understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Let's read these out. And all I'm asking you to do this morning is do just what I did as I was reading this. Let's do a self-checklist. Let's don't think about nobody else. Let's think about ourselves right now. Okay? Can we do that this morning? Amen? 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 Okay. For people will be lovers of self. Lovers of money. Proud. Arrogant. Abusive. Disobedient to their parents. Ungrateful. Unholy. Heartless, unappeasable. You know what that word means? That means never satisfied. Slanderous. That means a liar. Without self-control. Brutal. Not loving good. Treacherous. Reckless. Swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure. Rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness. But denying its power. 
Avoid such people. From among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Listen, this is the one, listen. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Always learning. Social media. Always learning. You know, over the last few years, I've had people tell me this a few different times. I know all I need to know. I know what that Bible says. You ain't that pastor ain't telling me nothing. That preacher ain't telling me nothing. I know what I need to know. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. That verse, verse 19 keeps going. It says, whose glory is in their shame. This shows the misplaced priorities of these enemies of the cross that they glorified, they gloried in things that they should have been ashamed about. It's happening in our world today all over the place. You don't believe me? Just go pull up any YouTube video that's just out there made by somebody. Shameful, shameful things that they glorify. Got a million hits. Because this little teenage girl ran around half naked, flaunting herself in front of all these boys. Got 10 million hits because Miley Cyrus wanted to get on stage and do something nasty. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. And the last part of that verse says, whose mind, who set their mind on earthly things. This describes the focus of their life. It was not to please and worship God, but to get along in this world. I just want to get along with everybody. The attitude was the same as the rich fool in Luke 12. Would you please turn to Luke 12 with me? Luke 12. Brother William, when are you going to say something nice? It's coming. Just hang on. Hang on. We've got to get real. See, we've got to get real with ourselves. We've got to. We've got, we've got to get past this cloud, this smoke and mirrors. The smoke and mirrors that's in front of us of how we have brainwashed ourselves to think that everything that we do in this life is what makes us who we are as far as our successes and things and what we have and what we own. We've got to get past that and remember why we are here as believers. Are you hearing me this morning? Two people are. Luke 12, starting in verse 16. Now, I'm just going to read you this. This is just what Jesus is saying, okay? I didn't write this story. Jesus did. So take it for what you will. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. 
And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's keep reading. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, he's concluding his parable and he's going into this. Now, let me let me tell you something about what I just said. Therefore, I tell you and listen. Jesus wants to speak this to you today. Do not be anxious about your life. What you'll eat nor about your body, what you'll put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? You know what a problem is? A lot of us people don't see us as important even as the birds are in God's eyes. We think we got to do it all on our own. God's not going to take care of me. Look at the birds. God takes care of them. How much more will he take care of you? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If then you are not able to do as small thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies. I love that song. How they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, how much more will he clothe you? O you of little faith. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried about it. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Hold on. Hold on. Get ready. Sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old with a treasure in heaven that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. These are strong, strong, strong words today. And I hope that you're not sitting there with a mentality saying, well, Brother William, you sure are being mean today. I hope that what you prayed in the beginning when you said, Holy Spirit, speak to my heart. Speak to me this morning. Let me hear what you want to say. I hope that you're receiving this. Because what God has for you is so much greater than this world could ever give you to the highest percent. So much greater but we can't get past it right here. I hear people pray, 
God, if you just let me win that lottery, Lord. Now, I ain't going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of y'all prayed that prayer? I'm not going to do it. But let me ask you something. Let's just, let's get real for a minute. If God let you win that lottery, say it was $10 million. God let you win. And here's the thing we tell God. Here's the thing. We say, God, if you let me win that lottery, I I promise you, Lord, I'll give 50% to the church. And God, I'll take care of them people in that church, Lord. And oh, I'll give to missions, God. Oh, God, I'll give it. I'll give it, Lord. I'll give it, give it. And God says, what about that $150 you got in your pocket right now? You're not giving that. But here's the thing. If you win the lottery, how much are you going to have to trust God for your finances? Not. I got this, God. I ain't worried about it. Appreciate it, though. Thank you. And the more you don't have to trust God, is the more you don't pursue God. Went to the Philippines back in 2002. We flew into Cebu, and we took a flight into the shortest runway I've ever been on in my life in Bacolo. I'm not going to ask Brother Donnie to describe how I looked when we were landing, but there was much wide-eyedness in me. Because at the end of that runway, the shortest runway in Asia, was an ocean. I'm serious. Dropped right off into the ocean. And there were people out there fishing on their boats as planes went over. So we landed in Cebu, I mean Bacolo. And we were running late. And we had to go to, drop our stuff off and then go to the church. And they're having a pastor's conference there that we're a part of. 400 pastors and pastor's wives in this building. And and you can ask Brother Donnie, when we walked in that door and those doors opened up, the presence of God was so thick in that place. I personally could barely walk down that aisle. When I got to the front, I was on my knees, blubbering like a baby. And the first question that I asked God, God, why don't we do this at home? And you know what he said? It's because you don't need me. These people need me. They got nothing to depend on. They don't have luxury homes and great jobs and savings and all these things. They don't have those things. They need me. They cry out to me every day. God. How I need you, God. And I just want to be in his presence. You need, we got to need him. We got to pursue him. We've got to run hard after him. Are you saying that we shouldn't have nice things, William? No, I'm not telling you that. I'm asking you and myself at what cost? At what cost? At what cost do we have these things? Is it to measure our success? Is it to appease our egos? Is it to buy the affections of our children? Why do we have these things? Is it the blessings of the Lord? If it's God's blessings, that's great. But make sure that your mind doesn't turn to depend upon those things and turn away from depending on God.
Here's what our focus should be. Philippians 3.20, we're going back to our text because we need to finish this out correctly and I'm running out of time. But our citizenship is in heaven and from it we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you are waiting for the savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? How many of you know that your citizenship is in heaven and that's where it belongs? Paul is saying here, we have our home in heaven and here on earth, we are a colony of heaven's citizens. He's saying you must never forget that you are a citizen of heaven and that your character must come from and match your citizenship. Our character should not match the world's citizenship. It should match the heavenly citizenship. If we are citizens of heaven, it means that we are resident aliens on earth. I am not an alien. Yes, you are. I'm not talking about E.T. phone home, people. I'm not talking about a little green man, but you are defined as a resident alien here on this earth. Foreigners are distinct in whatever foreign land they go to. Do you know if I go over to the Middle East, God help me, then they're going to know that I'm not a guy from the Middle East. They're going to say, who is this pork chop dude? They're going to know, especially if I open up my mouth and I start talking, because they're going to know that boy. I don't even know if he's from the U.S. I don't know where he's from. Christians must be so marked by their heavenly citizenship that they are noticed as different. Now listen to me carefully. Don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. But don't be so earthly minded that you're no heavenly good either. It says be in the world but not of the world. That's what the Bible says. Aliens, let's, let's go through a list here. Aliens should seek to do good works according to the land that they sojourn in. You should seek to do the work of the Lord wherever you're at. Aliens should not seek to partake in the affairs of the land that they sojourn in. You don't need to be in the affairs of this world. Aliens have privileges as well as duties. They are not under the same obligations as citizens of the land they sojourn in. Aliens are not eligible for the same rewards and recognitions as the citizen of the land that they sojourn in. And aliens should not focus on building riches in the land that they sojourn in. But we are and we have a certain character as a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven, we're under the government of heaven. We're under his word. That's what we should be following, his word. As a citizen, we share in heaven's honors. Amen? How many of you know what heaven's honors are? You need to find that out. As a citizen, we have property rights in heaven. How many of you know you got property in heaven if you're a citizen, if you're a believer? I go there to prepare a place for you. I don't know what it's going to look like. I'm going to be glad to be there, though. It's going to be nice. Unimaginable. As citizens, we enjoy the pleasures of heaven. Amen. As citizens of heaven, we love heaven and we feel attached there. As citizens of heaven, we keep in communication with our native home. You know what that means? Hey, God. How's it going? 
I'm talking to my Father in heaven. Those things that are bound on earth are bound in heaven. Those things that are loosed on earth are loosed. But I talked about that the other day with the keys. There's significant contrast between the citizens of earth, as described in the first two verses we read, and the citizens of heaven, described in the second two verses we read. As the Philippians would eagerly await a visit from the emperor in Rome, even more we as believers should eagerly await the coming of the king, Jesus. And while we're here, we should have the mindset of being about our father's business. Let's wrap this up. Verse 21. So at verse 20, it says, but our citizenship is, uh, is in heaven and from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. How many are glad that the same body you got right now is going to be transformed when you go to heaven? I'm very glad of that. Very glad. When we are resurrected, we'll have the same type of body that Jesus himself had when he was resurrected. Jesus was not merely resuscitated. you got to understand this. He was not merely resuscitated from the dead as in the same body. He was resurrected in a new body, patterned after the old, yet equipped and fitted for heaven. I can remember when I was about 23, 24, Pastor Donnie, he was a pastor here. Now, I think that put him around, he was, he was, he was older than I was, 40-something, 40, 40 anyway. So, we were out here working, I think we were working on a pole barn or something, probably about right here is where it was at. And uh, it was out there, and we were lifting and doing stuff. And I was like, man, Brother Donnie, my, my, my back's hurting. He looked at me, he said, boy, he's not want to hear it. I'm 40-something years old, son. You ain't hurting. You wait till you get in your 40s. Of course, he's been through war and shrapnel and all kind of stuff in his body. I've been through Monopoly and whatever else. So now, I'm 45, fixing to be 46 next month. And I could go to him right now and go, man, Brother Donnie, my, my shoulders, man, my, my back. And he'd look at me and go, boy... You don't even know. Wait till you get your 60, son. But when we get to heaven, we're not going to have all them aches and pains anymore. We're not going to be walking around like Fred Sanford. We're going to have a new body. There's not going to be any more pain. There's not going to be any more crying. There's not going to be any more sickness, no more diabetes, no more cancer, no more any of these things we're going to have to struggle with because God's going to give us a glorified body and we're going to walk with Jesus and we'll worship in his presence 24-7. There will be no time we will worship him all for eternity. Don't forget it. Don't let it slip your mind. Stop thinking about what do I got to do to get to another level? The old saying, keeping up with the Joneses. And if you're a Jones in here, I don't know where you're at, and I'm not trying to keep up with you. 
We've got to get out of this brainwash mentality that this world is our scale to measure our success, our favor, and our character by. Do you understand what I'm saying? Are you hearing me today? Are you listening today? I'm not telling you that you can't have nice things. What I'm telling you is, is at what cost are we having nice things? How are we training up our children to view their success in this world? Are we training them up to get all the accolades to be rich? Are we training them to say, be a mighty warrior for Jesus? It's going to cost you, but you can do it through the power of God. Be what God's called you to be. Don't look for your joy in this world. Don't look for your satisfaction here. Don't look for your success here. I'm going to tell you something. We could tell our kids that all day long, but if we're not living it, they're not going to live it either. Are you hearing me today? Are you listening to what the Holy Spirit's saying to you today? Don't hear me wrong today. Don't hear this wrong today. Don't let the enemy come and whisper in your ear. He just don't want you to have nice things. It's not what I said at all. I'm just saying at what cost? Are we doing what God's put us here for? Are we citizens of heaven? Are we citizens of this world? What are we? What are you? What am I? Remember, 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 remember. Bow your heads with me. Stop for just a minute. Stop where you are and quit. Don't don't think about what you're fixing to go do. Don't think about other stuff and junk. Think about right now what the Holy Spirit is trying to say to you this morning. Are you so stressed out? so frazzled because you've been trying to find all these great successes and build all these great dreams that you have for yourself don't be anxious for that this world is not your home you're just passing through that's all you're doing But are you doing what you're here for? Or have you become so consumed with the cares of this world that you forgot about the God who cares? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable unto the Lord. In just a minute, we're going to open the altars. We're not going to have a ministry team come up or anything. We're just going to open the altars. And I'm going to ask you this morning to join me at the altar. You know what altars are made for? It's to lay down a sacrifice upon 
I'm going to ask you to join me at the altar this morning to lay ourselves down as a sacrifice before the Lord to say, God, I am yours. I thank you, God, for your blessings. But God, I don't want those blessings to be my focus. I don't want my successes to be my trophies. I don't want my championships to be my glory. I want you to be my glory. And I want to pursue you. If there are two people and they're running in opposite directions, you cannot pursue both of them at the same time. So what are you pursuing today? Are you pursuing God? Or are you pursuing the world? This world is not your home. You're just passing through.